Right now on Fast Money, stocks slumping ahead of tomorrow's huge Fed decision. More than a quarter of the S&P 500 hitting new lows. The Fed gets to set to do something that is not done since Bill Clinton was president. It's not all bad. Speaking of presidential trivia, FedEx having its best day since Ronald Reagan called the White House's home. Up over 14% today. We'll look at why a dividend hike and new board members gave the stock a boost. Karen is happy. And later, the 30-year mortgage jumping to almost 6.3%. George W. Bush was just weeks away from the start of the financial crisis, the last time that rates stood at these levels. Good evening, good afternoon, everybody. I am Brian Sullivan, in for Melissa Lee once again. This is Fast Money, and as always, we are live from the NASDAQ market site. On your desk tonight, we've got Tim Seymour, Karen Feinerman, Dan Nathan, and Pete Nigerian, who is co-founder of MarketRebellion.com. And we begin the countdown to what could be one of the biggest Fed meetings in recent memory. Now, the expectation for many is for a 75 basis point or three-fourths of a percent rate hike. If we get it, it would be the biggest move from the central bank since 1994. But there are also plenty of smart people out there saying we could get just a half a percent or even a full one percent from Jay Powell and company tomorrow And we will find out tomorrow at 2 p.m. Eastern time. Obviously, be here on CNBC just for that. Now, the broad market's relatively muted ahead of that decision, taking a bit of a breather after four days of deep losses. But a look under the surface may suggest that things are not as calm as they appear. Five-day losing streak now for the Dow and the S&P. Companies like J.P. Morgan, Target, Microsoft, NVIDIA, and Home Depot all hitting new 52-week lows today. The usually safe and steady utility sector collapsing down 11.5% in just five sessions. By the way, all those power prices surge across America because, well, we just don't have enough power. And the HYG, the biggest junk bond ETF, is trading below its net asset value. Look at that. Generally not a good sign. So lot to do. Let's get after it on a huge pre-Fed show. Tim, what will the Fed mean to mark the markets and our viewers tomorrow. I think at this point, 50 basis points is behind the curve. Uh, I think that's something that actually is a credibility issue. We've asked at this, this desk and we've talked about what it would mean. I, I actually look at Fed fund futures for the end of the year. We're at 375, which means you've priced in 75 for tomorrow. You've priced in 75 for July. Uh, and I think there are a lot of people that think that, you know, so that, that gives you to about 350 to 375 basis points of hikes in 2022. Uh, how about four? How about 450? Uh, and how about a deep and harsh you know, cut. And if that means that in, is the same form of a recession, so be it. Um, that's what the market wants. Karen, Bill Ackman's on the tape saying, why not just go a full percent tomorrow? Does it matter? And if we're getting to 375, Karen, does it matter to stocks and maybe to bonds how we get there? Why not just go 2% tomorrow? Do it at once. Rip the Band-Aid off. Two, well, something like that would, I think, spook the market. Volker-esque. It would be yeah. Volker-esque. But I think, I think, you know, 75, and I've heard, the only reason I've heard not to go 75 is that they're messaging something different. I don't believe they're messaging something different. I think yesterday they wanted to get the message out that they're going to, that 75 they, is they, on and the they, table. Le- they basically leaked it. Purposefully, yep. right? Because they want that to be in the domain. <laughs> That's never happened before. That's no, never, not nothing like Fed. that ever happened. Of course not. So that's out there, as, and I think, you know, we got the message. So 75 is what I think we're looking at. I don't think it would be terrible if they did 100. You, you know, I will say this, that in the last, I don't know, 10, 15 years, I can't remember the last time expectations moved so quickly in front of a meeting, and I think that's really important. And I think that if you think back to some of the things that we've been talking about, what the C-level suite in America, U- 
U.S. multinational, specifically with the dollar, the way it's moved. We know that like, we saw what Target announced and then pre-announced, you know, weeks later. We saw that with Snap. I think that things are moving very quickly here. And then the problem is, is that if they do move quicker and they do slow the economy, we're going to see unemployment go up. We're seeing housing roll. They could find themselves in a much worse situation mm. that have a weak economy with structurally higher rates, right, because they can't do an about face anytime soon. And then also, even if we do see inflationary pressures peak, they're going to be like elevated relative to where they were year over year. It just seems like it's a big mess. Yeah. And you'd, we started out this segment by talking about under the hood today, J.P. Morgan making new 52-week lows today. I mean, given, I, it just shows you no one knows what the hell's going on right now. And, and I can't remember a time in the last 20 years where I've seen so many, the combination of cross currents, but also headwinds. Yeah. And that feels like a really uncomfortable position. And I, that, I suspect that's how the Fed feels right now. We're talking so much about the why or the what, Pete. We're not talking about the why, which, of of course, to Dan's point, is inflation is a three-quarters of a percent rate hike, 75 basis points tomorrow, going to slow down inflation. Will it work? Pete, check your mic. I'm going to ask the same question to Tim. Will it work? Well, I tell you what, I, I think we have to bite back at inflation. I think the psyche around inflation, and we've referenced Volcker, is that you, you, it becomes endemic if actually companies and the economy or consumers uh, don't trust you and they believe that they can always price higher. That's where I think we are. Uh, the PPI is, is a dynamic that I think is, is, there was no surprise in today's numbers. I, I will continue to point to that payroll number of 10 or 11 days ago is where I think we got the bigger component of inflation, and I think it's in the labor market. And I think that is one of the things that the Fed has his ammunition that is part of that ammunition in, in goosing up to 75 bips tomorrow. I wonder, Karen, is the only possible surprise a negative one? I mean, if we're all expecting one thing, I just wonder if the only place for the Fed to go is disappointment. Disappointing like 50, you mean? Or uh, disappointing dis- in any way, because remember, there's also the balance sheet issue. Right. There's quantitative tightening. The mortgage bond market, which we'll get to in a minute with Jim Bianco, looks yeah. broken right now. You just wonder, what can they do anything to help the stock market? I don't think they want to help the stock market. I don't think they I think it's a necessary byproduct of what they need to do. And they know that. And this administration would, you know, prior administrations said no way you can't do anything with the stock market. I think that's where the Fed made the mistake, not raising then. So I think it's that's that's a collateral damage they're willing to accept. I don't think they care. Dan. Yeah, I, I mean, listen, there's been a lot of focus. I mean, a guy down to tell you the Fed's dual mandate is uh, to keep the NASDAQ and the S&P <laughs> higher. And, and I, again, I, I kind of agree with you, Karen. I think that, you know, down 21 percent in the S&P 500 after trillions of dollars of fiscal and monetary stimulus over the last two years. And we know that inflated asset prices all over the place. It seems kind of fair. And I think a lot of people who open up their accounts and they look at their 401ks, they probably map closer to large cap equity indices. Right now, yeah. we know that bonds are going lower. So they're not paying attention to these stocks that are down 80 you know, percent in the last 18 months from all-time highs or so. So I guess at this point, down 20 percent seems kind of a run-of-the-mill sort of thing. Go back and look at the last two protracted bear markets from the highs in 2000 to the lows in 2002, the highs in 07 to the lows in 2009. The S&P 500 got cut in half both times. And you can say everything that's going on right now is a mixture of both of those two asset bubbles 
bubbles, plus the worry about this high, pesky, persistent inflation. And then lastly, where sovereign balance sheets are, right? So like, you know, the higher they raise to tamp down inflation, the harder it is to finance all that debt. It seems like I a just big, wonder, stinking mess. Fair enough. Listen, I just wonder, we posted about power prices today in the Midwest. We're out of control. Pete Nigerian, your bill's going to go up in Minneapolis. I mean, here's the reality. Inflation is a global phenomenon. Inflation is not just here. I just wonder what our Fed is going to be able to do to sort of put out the fire of what seems to be a global problem. It is a global problem. There's no doubt about it. But I think the Fed has to absolutely just focus on what their job is, which is right here in the United States. And I think they've been very transparent. They've tried to be as transparent as possible. And that's why I think we got that floated out yesterday with that three quarters of a point. So I think that is what we are expecting now. Nobody's looking at 50. Everybody's looking at 75. And I don't think that we would even do a full 100 because they didn't really leak that out. They could have leaked that out as well, right? But they didn't. So I think we're going to get 75. I think it'll cause something to happen. But it's going to take a lot more than that. It's going to take, as the guys were all talking about, it's going to take 75 now. It's going to take 75 again and again. And we've got to get up to the levels where we can actually start to get involved in this. And I think a lot of that was because of the data. And I don't blame the the Fed because some of that data we just got. So I think that was part of the the rationale of the leaking as well, because those numbers were extraordinarily high, 40-year highs, as we've all talked about and know about. But I think that's what's really going on right now. They've got their work cut out for them, Brian. It's I not going to be Pete, easy. I'll go back to I you. I, I referenced power prices yeah. because today in Illinois, it was $138 a megawatt hour. Last June, it was $33. I mean, I got bad news for people in the Midwest. Oh. Their electric bills, by the way, if they have electricity, the real yeah. chances of blackouts and brownouts are going to go up 50% probably in a month if they're not on a fixed rate plan. I just don't know what the Fed can do with inflation that is largely caused by an energy shortage unless they're going to drill a well. Yeah, and we're not gonna we're not gonna lean on the Fed for that right now, Brian. Just because we can't. That's good. That is up to other things and other things that we've got to do. I can tell you firsthand. I'm in 98 degrees today in Minneapolis. Gives you a little bit of an idea. Feels like 110. So yes, you're right. There is demand, and that demand has been very very strong. Not just here in the Midwest, but around the country. We all we all see it every single night when we see the weather. So those demands are there, and we're probably going to start seeing those prices go up even higher before we see them come anywhere close to lower. Yeah, and Tim, go back to the markets. How much of that expectation do you think is already priced into Uh, equities and bonds? So so really, how far down we go is a function of how much recession we want to price in from here. I think central bankers have, have certainly called the pace so far, and we're talking about how fast should the pace be. Markets equity markets don't stop going down until yields have peaked, in my view. Uh, and and if, again, depending on where you're looking for a peak in the yields, at the short end of the yield curve, uh, we're, we're probably nine to 12 months away at best. Uh, and I think mm. that's a dynamic. But in terms of what the market is priced in, look, 80 plus percent or more of the stocks in the S&P are below their 200 day. Four um, percent of them are above their 50 day. So you have some levels of both short term or medium term and long term destruction that we've already, you know, we're well 
fall into this move. Um, I do think we're still waiting for any sign of demand destruction. So far, this has really been about interest rates. This has been inflation. This has been about a lower margin story for most equities. EPS has not come down, and that concerns me. Right, and that's what's coming in July, right, when we get into Q2 earnings period. I think that's almost a certainty. And I, and I just, it just think of all the headwinds, the dollar rates, you know, everything like that. I just want to say one thing about the S&P again, down 21% in 2018, when you talked about that stocks won't recover until yields peak. They topped out at three and a quarter percent in Q4 of 2018. The Fed pivoted. The S&P went down 20%. So we are only down 21%. Think about what's happened between now and then. Think about the Fed's balance sheet. I just don't believe that we can get out of this big mess down only, you know, in the range in which we are down, considering what we had, you know, we just blew yeah. through those 2018 highs. So, I, you know, again, I think we are near-term oversold. We both agreed on that last last night, and I think there's not much that yeah. it would take to spark a rally tomorrow if if the if you get yeah. what you throw a couple trillion dollars at the market, and now you're going to pull it back, yeah. and you wonder why the market is down. All right, your next test warns the market maybe on a one-way trip to misery. Jim Bianco runs Bianco Research. <laughs> uh, wish I had some better news for our audience, Jim. How do you define misery? It's already felt pretty miserable. Yeah. It- because it's some of the comments that I've heard earlier today. The Fed only has one tool to bring in inflation, and that is that they have to slow demand, and that is they have to make the stock market miserable. Now, they're giving an out because we're in a bad news is good news scenario because you got 390,000 jobs in May. So they feel like they could make the stock market miserable without creating unemployment. So we might not like what's happening. But over in the Eccles building in Washington, I don't think they're too upset with what they've seen in the stock market for the last few weeks. And they want to see a little bit more of it because they want all of us to stop spending money. And then we can have the demand for stuff peak and we can have inflation come back down. It's all they've got right now. Is there any indication that higher rates on any part of the market are going to do that, Jim? And if so, when? Yo, sure. I mean, you could you can raise rates enough and you can butcher the economy and you can have demand fall off a cliff and you can have inflation go down. Now, that's not the way you and I want it to be done. And the Fed thinks that they could do this and create a soft ish landing. So they've gone from soft to soft ish landing. But, you know, the odds are against them. And yes, what you're implying, I agree with. There's a high degree of chance that they're going to wind up going too far and making a bigger mess of this. But again, the president ordered them two weeks ago in the White House to do something about inflation. They said they would. They cannot throw their hands in the air and go, I'm sorry, I can't do anything about this. Is there part of the bond market? I referenced mortgage-backed securities, Jim. I don't know if you follow them. I'm looking at pricing models, getting notes. They're back to 1985. Prices for MBSs have kind of collapsed. We're seeing these huge liquidity issues in other parts of even the government and repo bond markets. I just wonder what that is all telling you. Are we sort of on the precipice of a larger credit issue? Well, yeah, I think that the, the bond market, you know, and I'll, I'll, I'll use a very technical term. It's a complete mess right now. What's happening in the bond market? The total returns, the losses that you've seen in the bond market year to date are the greatest ever. This is shaping up to be the worst year in bond market history. The mortgage-backed market is no better. Liquidity is terrible. And one of the reasons why that's happening is, well, two reasons. One, you've got quantitative tightening coming. The biggest buyer of bonds is leaving, and that's the Federal Reserve. And you've got them intending on being very hawkish in raising rates. 
Look, the market, the Fed fund futures is pricing a 100 percent chance they're going to raise rates 75 tomorrow. They've never failed to deliver on a 100 percent pricing. And it's got a 90 percent chance that they're going to raise rates 75 again in July. So in the bond market, it's understandable that it is a mess because everything is a one way street in the wrong direction right now. Hey, Jim, it's Tim. Let's talk about how you play this. And I read your notes. You talked about commodities being one of your top plays. I I would agree with that. But how do you push back on critics that would say demand destruction is the other side of all of this, even for commodities that have some structural reasons why they're higher today? Well, you're not there in demand destruction yet. And so I think that until you do, commodities will continue to go higher. But the caveat I would give people about commodities is they've got crypto levels of volatility. So you better be prepared for five, eight, 10 percent days in a lot of these commodities, because you've seen that uh, quite often in things like crude oil. And so it's not going to be for the faint of heart that you want to play commodities. But if you're looking for something that has been working this year with a lot of volatility, it has been commodities. Jim Bianco, Bianco Research. Jim, we appreciate the the technical jargon, a complete mess. Jim, thank you very much. Karen, final (laughs) word to you. Well, it's interesting. I mean, commodities seems to be where you want to be, but commodity stocks, if you look at the XLE in the last, I don't know, four or five days, it's nowhere to hide also. I'm still in OIH, so staying there, I feel like that this has got a while to run. Bank of America survey yesterday showed more inflows into energy stocks than at any time in years. So we'll see if maybe this ESG trade That's is That's bullish. What's that? That's bullish? I don't know. <laughs> you nah. tell me. I would just tell you, I think you sell them before <laughs> President Biden goes to Saudi Arabia. I, I mean, like, I think that's it. And, and you saw what they just did with the SPR. I think this trade is done for a little bit. Well, well I don't I, know if you're precog or not, but we got to go to break. We're going to talk more about that trip in just a minute. I am precog. Wow. I think you might you know be. All right. All right. Coming up, we got a lot more to do. That's just an A block, so we call it. <laughs> Arabian Nights. Ahead for President Biden, what is on that agenda for the trip to the Saudis? He's going to meet with Mohammed bin Salman, the crown prince and future king. What will it mean for the oil markets? Ali McCroft is up with that. Plus, speaking of travels, it is not smooth sailing on that trade today. Is the red hot summer travel season already beginning to cool off? Look at those airline and cruise stocks just getting crushed. We're back after this. Here's a tip for your money, your future. To analyze your personal cash flow, take your monthly income after taxes. That's your monthly inflow. Then add up your monthly expenses, rent or mortgage, credit card, auto loan payments, all committed and discretionary expenses. That's your monthly outflow. Your monthly inflow minus your monthly outflow is your personal cash flow. And that number tells you if you're living within your means to prevent you from taking withdrawals from your investments to pay expenses. For CNBC, I'm Sharon Epperson. All right, welcome back to Fast Money. Summer travel season, also known as summer, is off to a turbulent start. Airline, cruise, and online booking stocks, they all got hit today. Look at this chart. The NYC airline index down almost 20% over the past week. So it was a travel booking bust ahead for investors, Karen. Well, it started already. So, yes, a travel booking bust is here. I think that, you know, there was a lot of pull forward. We always talk about Melissa loves to, you know, would you go visit your in-laws twice? You might go once. You're not going to go every year. So there was that. But then if we are in a recession, if the consumer is somewhat strapped, there's that. And then look at the valuations. Right. So if you look at American, for example, the enterprise value is right where it was in 2019. Yet we're in, I think, a more difficult spot. And rates are going higher. All these companies have so much debt now. They needed that to save them. But it's just going to be a lot more. expensive. But, but, you know, Delta Airlines, uh, which didn't 
splurge on debt, didn't need to splurge on debt, and, and now has somewhere about $20 billion in debt. So if you think about it, and they just they gave a second quarter update where they said they're going to generate $1.5 billion in free cash flow in the second quarter. They also have a refinery, which allows them to hedge a fair amount of, of these fuel costs. So, I, look, I, I get the fact that airlines certainly historically um, don't get the benefit when fuel prices go down. They tend to be a major headwind into their stock price on the way up. But um, right now, to me, airlines are something that's trading in Congress. I, at some point, yes, you may see the economic disconnect here, yeah. but these are companies, and in Delta's case, Karen's really smart to have brought this up, and she's brought this up for the last year and a half, that the enterprise value is what you need to look at with a lot of these companies, but some the enterprise value actually has gotten better. You know, Pete, when you're sitting back there in 25B on Sun Country from Minneapolis to Sarasota, you know that that <laughs> plane has been full. You know the plane has been full. So let's, I feel like the Grim Reaper up here on tonight's show. Let's be optimistic. Right. What if we're wrong? What if people keep well, traveling? What if they do keep spending? What if the economy doesn't go into recession? You wonder if these stocks are going to have some value in the longer term. Markets act like nobody's going to fly again. You're right. And, and I'll tell you what, I'm, everybody's been waiting for the business traveler to pick that up. It's starting to pick up, but not quite to the level that people are expecting. I can tell you this, the leisure travel continues to grow and cargo in terms of Delta. And Tim's exactly right. They've got all everything from the refineries to the fact that they've done so much with their balance sheet. This is a great company. We had some huge call buying in there today. I actually bought Delta calls today with the stock almost exactly where it's where it closed today. It's right around a little bit over thirty one dollars a share. They were buying July thirty fives. I continue to think that this has gotten too cheap. And I think that they are doing all the right things to be able to push them themselves into a great spot, except the one thing that they can't control, which is fuel costs. That's going to be brutal. Yeah. So Airbnb, Expedia, Jets, which is the ETF that tracks the airlines, they're all making new 52-week lows today. So you ask the question, what are they telling you? They're pricing in a consumer-led recession sooner than people think. That's like the only thing that I can kind of conclude from the price action today. And again, to your point, is that people have already booked their summer trips. Now we're dealing with headlines every day about job cuts. OK, like this is I, I'm say it every day on the show until I'm we actually you. finally start pricing in an uptick. But what if people don't? But I'm what if they still spend? I don't know. Airlines have to price people just going back to work. I mean, airlines, have, I, I get the fact that the consumer may run out of gas and that the vacation travel and the revenge travel, as we've coined it, um, maybe, you know, nearing its end. But just getting back to 2019 revenue streams and the discussion we've had around profitability, um, just getting back to 2019. And maybe maybe at some point we run into that. They're not even close and they're not trading at those multiples. Delta right now trades at seven times 2023 based upon numbers and guidance that they've given. Yeah. So I, I hear you in a lot of other places where I think demand is, I'm, I'm right there with you. I've said at the top of the show, I'm waiting for demand. But in airlines, it's a story of demand coming back online. And in fact, demand that wasn't there yesterday. Well, listen, JetBlue and Frontier in a massive fight for spirit. So they clearly see something happening, maybe, maybe positive with air travel. We'll see. All right, we are just getting started here on Fast Money. Here's what's coming up next. FedEx flies. The last time shares had this good of a day, the New York Mets were embarking on a World Series championship run. The Oprah Winfrey Show just began airing nationally, and the late great Betty White won an Emmy for the Golden Girls. The details on why FedEx is delivering gains ahead. And later, looking for an energizing rally? One options trader is making a big bet that an oil name could keep on rising all summer long. We'll drill into that trade next. You're watching Fast Money, live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. We're back right after this. 
All right, welcome back to Fast Money. President Biden setting plans for a trip to Saudi Arabia next month. A decision, a stark contrast to his campaign when he vowed to not visit the, quote, pariah state after the killing of the journalist Jamal Khashoggi. This is oil prices surge to new highs. So what should we expect from this trip? Let's bring in Halima Croft. She's RBC Capital's global head of commodity strategy and a CNBC contributor. Uh, what do you expect from this trip? It's going to be more than just about oil. We know that security, missile defense, Yemen, Absolutely. Iran, et cetera. But will there be, you think, Halima, any breakthrough with the crown prince regarding oil supply? I mean, this is- I mean, this is going to be a broad reset in the bilateral relationship. As you mentioned, it's going to encompass, you know, new security guarantees for Saudi Arabia, likely new defense support for Saudi Arabia, potentially new moves in terms of the Israeli-Saudi relationship. But clearly, oil is also at the center of the conversation. And the question is, are we going to see more Saudi barrels coming to the market after they finish unwinding the OPEC cut this summer? Well, that's the question that we're going to ask you, because they'll say they don't have a lot of spare capacity. What about the declaration of cooperation? What can the Saudis do alone or maybe with the UAE, the Emirates, to be fair, Halima, that is going to alleviate this supply demand imbalance that is sending prices through the roof? I mean, Brian, look, we have very little spare capacity left in the system. We probably have, if you do Saudi Arabia and UAE, you know, around two million barrels a day. So potentially, do they give more of those barrels to the market? And the question is, if they do so, will you actually see prices come down? Or will market participants focus on the fact that we have so little spare capacity when we're going to have this big SPR release winding down in November and then the European sanctions kicking in at the start of the year? So the question is, if the Saudis do more, will it be enough to cool off the market? Well, they're going to have, Halima, you talk, you know, a lot of people don't realize that the European oil sanctions, to your point, really don't kick in until next year. The SPR sale will be done. It's got to be bought back. Assuming no major global, let's say China then fully reopens India, they've been cranking. Assuming there's no major global economic slowdown, I mean, it's very easy to envision a scenario where oil prices are a lot higher. Absolutely. And Brian, we are in a situation right now, we've just lost a million barrels of Libyan production because of continued unrest in that country. So we do not have spare capacity shock absorbers if we have trouble in any more producers. And I would flag one thing to watch is we're not getting any progress in the Iranian nuclear talks. And there's real concern that these talks could break down and you could have more tension over Iran in the coming weeks. Halima, just as we look at the energy sector um, and in terms of the investment, as an analyst that's speaking to some of the biggest investors in the street in this space, what's your sense? We, we know it's an overweight, but what's your sense in terms of uh, where weightings can go in the sector and some of the technical elements of this? Because at, at this point, the news flow fundamentally on the bottom up is companies. Look, if you look at some of the resource, uh, the chemical plays and some of the uh, some of the companies that are buying back their stock and actually raising their payout levels. These are companies that are run very differently than they were years before. Yeah, again, I'm not an equity analyst, so I don't actually cover the companies. But again, I think that the key thing to be watching, I think, was an interesting development on the company side is looking at the new Biden administration posture. You're seeing some Senate Democrats coming out and essentially saying, 
we wanted you to drill more. We wanted more barrels on the market. But now we're actually talking about taxing windfall profit. So I do think, you know, one interesting development as we think about what's left in the toolkit for the White House to try to bring down prices. It's interesting that they're pivoting now to essentially saying to companies, we're going to tax you. We're going to basically accuse you of price gouging. When previously they had been saying, we want you to produce more barrels on the market. Halima Croft, RBC Capital Markets. Halima, need your insight. Appreciate you coming on the program. Thank you. Don't Thank blow you. your eyes. We'll see you at 5 a.m. probably tomorrow as well. Don't sleep at all, Halima. <laughs> just, just stay there in front of the camera. We need you. Karen, the OIH, it's interesting, the oil stock ETF. The last time that oil prices were here, the OIH was $1,000. It's at 300 bucks, 275 now. The disconnect is crazy. It is crazy. And, I, you know, I, this, this windfall tax today, I can see why... Because higher taxes always lead to more output. Right. Yeah. It's just flows. That was sarcasm. I got it. it. I got it. I don't really get, I mean, that seems to be a non-starter. They have to go through all the capital expenditures to increase production that then they're taxed on and then they're left with potentially excess, you know, infrastructure. If prices go back down, that doesn't seem like very encouraging. It seems obviously like a non-starter, but... Things like that, leave the OIH as a disconnect to the, the, the underlying oil price. Sorry. Oh, sorry. The, the things that I, I, I harp on with the sector, and I was starting to talk about, so Dow Chemical, so if you look at some of the derivative plays from mm. petroleum, yeah. um, just redeemed, I don't know, $750 million bond. They've talked about more uh, debt buybacks. They've talked about more and higher payout ratios today. You also had the Ham family, who's the majority shareholder in Continental, uh, deciding to take this company public, uh, private, excuse me, because yep. they can, and they did it at a level that was attractive, although, um, you know, there's a lot of other companies that believe that kind of price action and that kind of capital markets activity is, is in their future. Those are the things that to me make energy investable. Those are the things that make this not just a trade. And, and I think it's fair to say, Dan's pointing out that, hey, it's a crowded trade and it's been a good trade. You know, I'm not sure this is the time to chase it. I, I look at the structural things, the things that Halima's talking about on the macro, but the way these companies are run and that they're re-rating. And, and, that's, and, and energy companies right now are very cheap relative to themselves, not just the market. I just wonder, it's capital intensive business fueled on debt, higher rates. I'm not sure that's going to be the thing either that's going to attract I, I don't see the same debt well. that we had five years ago. Yeah, and I want to clarify, you said the Ham family, you mean Harold, not John, just to clarify. All right, let's take a look at one winner in the energy space. That is Apache, finishing even higher as oil fell back below $120 a barrel. One options trader is making a big bet that those gains are going to keep on coming. Mike Co. joining us now with the options actions. Mike. Yeah, so uh, Houston-based E&P company, APA Corp., uh, this thing traded 5.3 times its average daily call volume today. Uh, most of that activity was concentrated in the October 45 calls. We saw over 25,000 of those trade for an eight and a quarter, and that included a block of 20,000, part of an institutional roll from the July 40s. So somebody is obviously pressing a large winning bet out and up, and that is betting that APA Corp could be up 16% or more by October expiration. Wow, oh, fascinating there in APA. Mike Co. thank you very much. Hey, final word, uh, Pete? APA, Apache, buyer? Yeah. Yeah, I actually bought it today when I saw those, uh, those options hitting. Uh, what I really like about that name is, and, and we talk about all these various names, but when you look at the beta names, and this is certainly one of those names, this has a four beta. So when you're looking at the markets and you're looking now, it works in both directions, but this is a stock that started off the year at 28, and here it is now trading close to 52. So it gives you a little bit of an idea of, of the, what, you're, what you're wanting 
which is something that's going to really move fast and give you a lot more to the upside. That's why these names like that one and Occidental and others are the names that I really have been focused on because that's where the bait is. That's where the growth is. Okay, Pete, thank you very much. And as always, for more Options Action, be sure to tune into the full show. That is every Friday at 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time. All right, coming up, did the Bitcoin groundhog see a shadow? This brutal crypto winter seems to have no end in sight. As Coinbase announces major layoffs. We'll give you more Punxsutawney Phil videos coming up. Shares of FedEx topping the tape today. What is delivering these monster gains, at least for one day? Making Karen happy. Much more Fast Money in two minutes. Get your trades to go with the Fast Money Podcast. Catch us anytime, anywhere. Follow today on your favorite podcasting app. We're back right after this. All right, welcome back to Fast Money. Let's take another look at the collapse in Bitcoin. And major news out of Coinbase, the crypto exchange, cutting nearly one-fifth of its workforce, or about 1,100 jobs. As the market heads to what CEO Brian Armstrong is calling, quote, a crypto winter. Let's bring in Kate Rooney with more. What exactly is going on here, Kate? Hey, Brian. Yeah, Coinbase executives say they're preparing for the worst with these layoffs. CEO Brian Armstrong telling employees in an email this morning, quote, we appear to be entering a recession after a 10 plus year economic boom. The company, he says, grew too quickly and Coinbase needs to manage the burn rate and increase efficiency. He also says it's clear now that they overhired. I also sat down with Coinbase Chief Operating Officer Emily Choi last week. Ahead of this news, she says it was a difficult but necessary decision. She pointed to the current macro backdrop and says Coinbase has survived other downturns before. She called it the prudent thing to do right now. Coinbase had put a pause on hiring initially and then two weeks later extended that and then rescinded some job offers going a step further here today. But it is hardly the only company moving in this direction as crypto prices drop. Yesterday, BlockFi cutting about a fifth of its staff Crypto.com, Gemini, Robinhood, all scaling back as well. And it comes as Coinbase shares are down about 80% this year so far. JP Morgan this morning also downgrading that stock ahead of this news coming out and slashing its price target. Analysts there call that a need for management to lower costs, and they see potentially more downside for Coinbase if crypto markets don't stabilize. Brian, back to you. All right, Kate Rooney out in San Francisco there. Kate, let's treat this sedan, uh, crypto. It's not just, a, I mean, the stocks have been, everything's just crushed. Yeah, so, so I think what's really clear right now is that this is very reminiscent of what happened in the post.com. You know, like you just replace BlockFi or replace Coinbase or replace it for whatever your favorite .com, e-commerce. Pets.com, well, what, CMGI. And, and again, and, and listen, there were like great applications for a lot of those companies. They were too early, they overbuilt, they, you know, they didn't have any profitability or something like that. So we do have an analog for this. Um, I think that, you know, what crypto has proven us, there are some reasonable use cases, but like, again, Coinbase is telling you, they but, just overhired. You but know, like, is Coinbase JDS Uniface, though? I mean, like, because your point is a great one. You can have good companies yeah. that don't necessarily operate well. Coinbase clearly No, so I think some of the DeFi, the DeFi stuff is JDS Uniface, I think, an on-ramp to crypto like like Coinbase. The, you know, they're going to do a crypto wallet. They're going to, you know, like, they're going to have NFTs. Yeah. They're going to do stuff. I mean, some of these brands will, like, survive. You know what I mean? I just think that, again, we it's talk Winter, when you talk about winter, you're talking about time. I mean, really. And when we think about the, the stock market, the Nasdaq topped out in March of 2000 and it bottomed out in October of 2002. It felt excruciating. It doesn't feel bad enough yet for a lot. Not of yet. Oh, no. Pete, jump in here, because when I see a stock that we talked about yesterday, Coinbase, 
382 to yeah. $50 today in a couple of what weeks, couple of months, max time. A lot of pain, a yeah. lot of people losing yeah. money, not making making light of it. But at some point, it either stops going down or it goes to zero. That's it. Right. Yep, you're, you're right. And, and I think this is a quality company, however, but they did have that burn rate. They did have too much going on. They probably had too many employees. They had too much of a lot of things, inclu- including the fact that, that the stock went straight up, as you just mentioned, 382 bucks a share or wherever it got up to. Unbelievable. But let's not forget, and to Dan's point, yes, 2000, we had all these huge bubbles and it was crazy as all get out. But there was Oracle, there was Cisco, there were quality names that were there, and is Coinbase maybe one of those names? I tend to lean towards that and think maybe it, maybe it is. And that's why I'm getting more and more interested the more I look at it, because I look at the high short interest, but I also look at the balance sheet. I look at the potential for the cash flow. I think there's a lot of different reasons now to keep a very close eye on it. I'm not saying it's a buy, but I'm saying it's a great time to be looking at some of these what names would you in look, this okay, space. Pete, then what would you look for for a sign of a turn then? Well, I... I yeah, well, I think the, the most clear turn we need is, is for Bitcoin to stop going down, right? I mean, the reality yes. is we're talking about 68,000 <laughs> down to this level. So, well, I mean, it is that simple, though. I mean, we need to see the. All right, welcome back. FedEx actually delivering a big bright spot today for investors. FedEx shares rose 14.5% today, the best day since 1986. They're increasing their dividend by more than 50%. The payout went to 115 from 75 cents. Karen, you got to be happy about that. I am happy about that. Okay. Yeah, very happy about that. I mean, it was great. I didn't really know there was anything going on behind the scenes with D.E. Shaw, so that was great to wake up and see that. Two, two uh, board seats and then a third to be agreed upon later. I thought the board seats looked like great candidates, particularly the uh, James Vina, who was at UNP. Mm-hmm. So that's good. You know, FedEx, I like it for, for a long time. I've liked it. They've been spending so much money to revamp their business and they've been slow to sort of uh, actually get the returns on that. If you look at UPS, the margins are much better. The business size is not much different. And yet the valuation is much higher for UPS. This is a good start. The dividend. Yeah, it's nice, but whatever. We'd much rather see them get higher margins. Hopefully this board can help. And I think this new management takes it seriously and higher margins. The stock has a long way to go up. Another point of analysis on FedEx, including the things that Karen is talking about, is just how FedEx has at times led the market. Uh, and certainly whether you're a Dow theorist or not, if you look at a chart of FedEx, both going back five years, if you look at it, um, this stock actually started selling off in December of 2020 uh, and with a little bit of a give and take underperformed the market by 45 percent. But if you look at a ratio of FedEx to the S&P, you can see it's two or three times over the last 10 years. It's formed a bottom two or three months well before the market started to turn. And if you look at that ratio right now, uh, somewhere around 0.04 on this ratio, you've seen this as a key level. I'm not saying the market turns tomorrow. I'm telling you that FedEx is one you always need to be watching because of the cyclicality. And Dow Theory does have a place somewhere. You just wonder, Karen, if UPS is sitting there going, hey, they just popped 14%. Maybe we should raise our dividend. Hmm. Is there a lesson for other companies? You don't think it was a dividend at all? I don't think it was the dividend. I think it was the actors. But I think Carol Tomei is doing a fantastic job. Their margins are 11. FedEx are are around 11. I don't think the dividend increase 50% mattered at all. It's a 1% additional yield. Very few boards and C-level suites just say, give me activists. I want activists. (laughs) Then you got Karen being Karen about (laughs) some of these companies. I'm just saying. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Pete, your take, does FedEx mean anything 
for the broader market other than just a good day for FedEx because D.E. Shaw and activists? Well, I, I think, um, to be honest with you, I think I disagree with Karen. Sorry, Karen. But I actually, right. when I look at what they did with the dividend, that gives them competition, I think. When we talk about the two-year and the 10-year, that is something that is huge, and that is something everybody's going to have to be dealing with. And this is one way to defense themselves from that, so they actually can be competitive to a degree with the with the uh, yep. with the bond proxy. So I think that gives me a lot more confidence okay. in the company right now. I'd like to keep it going. We got to go and get in the hook. Coming up, real estate wreck. Check out these losses. Some of the real estate stocks are down seventy to eighty percent in a matter of months. Any reason to buy these with your money? We'll talk about it. And throughout June. We are celebrating Pride Month. Here's CNBC's producer, Scott Stern. The LGBTQ community has made incredible strides in my lifetime, but we appear to be facing critical challenges to our rights. Now more than ever, don't just say gay, shout it. Support and nurture trans youth. Who you love and how you identify is your right. I make sure to live my authentic life with pride this and every month. All right, welcome back. Here's a sneak peek at the Kramer camp. Jim chatting exclusively with the CEO of Indy Semiconductor, Catch. A full interview at the top of the hour on Mad Money. Do not forget, you can always have Jim delivered right to your inbox with the CNBC Investing Club. Sign up now at cnbc.com slash join the club or by using the QR code that is on your screen right now. All right, real estate giants Compass and Redfin sinking lower today after both companies announced major layoffs. Compass cutting 10% of its workforce, Redfin 8, as mortgage rates have risen sharply and home sales slow down. Redfin CEO Glenn Kelman saying in a filing, a demand was 17% below May expecta- or expectations in May, by the way, adding, quote, we could be facing years, not months, of fewer home sales. If falling from 97 to share to 8 bucks doesn't put a company through heck, I don't know what does, end quote. So referencing his stock price, but you don't hear a CEO do a lot of, Dan, your take. Yeah, I mean, this goes back to what we were talking about before. I mean, this is today's example that housing was in a bubble. It doesn't have the leverage that we had in the housing bubble during the 2000s and lead up to the financial crisis. But when you think about all the leverage and how low rates had been for so long and all the other asset bubbles that we've seen burst over the last year, year and a half, it makes sense that this one would. And this will only be heightened by increased unemployment as that happens over the next couple of months. And I think here's an example where they're laying off people because their asset class was in a bubble and we're seeing that yeah. in crypto. We just talked about it. We're going to see it in a lot of other sectors. And, and let's be clear, Pete Nigerian, those numbers were from May. It's June now and rates yeah. have gone up, what, 30 percent this month? Well, how about just in the last week? A week ago, the 30-year was five and a half, now it's six and a quarter. So that gives you a little bit of an idea of just how fast things are moving right now. We talk about velocity all the time, the velocity of moves. We talk about it with volatility. We talk about it with volume and a lot of different other things. But the velocity of this move has been absolutely extraordinary, and it is crushing some of these companies. All right, Pete, thank you very much. Right up next, it is your Fast Money Final Trades. Stick around. Hey. All right, time now for your final trade. Why don't we go around the horn? Peter Deering, kick it off. I'm going to stick with energy. I'm sticking with crude. I'm going with APA, that unusual options that we see in there. I think it's going back higher. Like that. Tim, I already know your pick. Yeah, that healthcare allocation. J&J continues to be a safety play. But again, a company's got a pharma portfolio that's growing their consumer products. 
Dynamics are growing. The valuation makes a lot of sense, and they actually pay you to stick around. J&J. Karen? Yeah, I'm going to pick one Dan hates. Bank America, I think it's coming way too far. I like the July 22nd Split 33 screen. calls. Split them up. Split them up. That's after earnings. I want to wait to see what they have to say. I don't hate it. I just think that it's a lousy environment for banks right now. Um, I don't like the energy stocks. I don't like, I actually hate Biden's trip to Saudi. I don't think it fixes what they think it's going to fix. And I'd be a seller of the XLE. Seller of the XLE. All right, guys. Thanks for watching Fast Money. Mad Money with Jim Cramer begins right now.